coming up in this podcast, markets volatility, trade surplus, health engine, Michael Cheney, energy news, entrepreneur of the year awards, Cullen Wines, and our special report this week is on oil and gas. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer. Mark, a challenging week in the markets. What are the headline numbers? Well, look, we saw a lot of volatility uh, stemmed primarily from Donald Trump's tweeting. Um, he unsettles lots of markets and lots of people with his tweets. I would say, uh, shut Twitter down. <laughs> <laughs> and look, he put out some tweets about uh, the trade relationship with the China and the threat of putting up new tariffs, and that sort of unsettled a lot of people. Um, the, the iron ore price was one of the biggest movers. Interesting, because this all happened during the week of diggers and dealers. So many people were focused on gold. Mm. And so gold, as usually is the case, was a winner from market volatility. Uh, the US dollar gold price went up a bit above 1500 US dollars. Um, and the plus, Aussie dollar plunged. Plus the Aussie dollar went down a bit, um, down around, what, below 68 cents US. So in a dollar terms, the gold price is looking fantastic. Mm. Um, but the iron ore price, look, it's been sitting around $120 US a tonne, which was a, you know, a level that surprised everybody. Um, now down around the mid-90s, you know, $96, $97 a tonne. So a very substantial correction. Mm. Um, and if you're an investor in iron ore companies, um, you know, your share price has taken a big dive. This happened over several weeks, so the market you know, had been anticipating a correction, I think, with iron ore stocks. But um, you know, remarkably, Rio Tinto, BHP and Fortescue Metals Group, the three big iron ore miners, the share price of all three of them peaked on the 3rd of July, so about a month ago. Since then, Fortescue's share price has gone from, uh, where are my notes here, $9.40, down to about $7.50 at the moment. Right. Uh, BHP and Rio have also corrected. Um, but look, I think important to remember, um, $96 US a tonne is still a very healthy price for iron ore. Well, it's still way um, higher than we were anticipating it to be last year, right? Yes. And um, so, you know, good money for the iron ore miners and um, in no way sort of threatens the viability of what they're doing. You know, there were some some of the junior miners who'd been sitting on iron ore prospects and had been dusting them off in recent months. Um, the viability of some of those projects, you know, will once again be called into question. But certainly all the big projects, all the big miners, you know, still roaring ahead, just not making quite as much money as they had been. Yeah, no. And Mark, look, I might just put a plug in here now. We've, we've just done a, uh, a, another recording with Mark Barnabar, who's on the board of Fortescue Metals Group. He's also on the board of the Reserve Bank of Australia. I mean, he's, got, he's t- giving us his private views on the economy and, uh, and the market volatility we've had. Um, but we'll be putting that out as a separate podcast. So uh, something to look for for our listeners. Um, I mean, just briefly, though, he did have some very interesting things to say. Yeah, look, um, you know, he's got a pretty positive view on on the global economy. Um, You know, he talks about how rare it's been for the global economy to ever go into recession. So he's pretty comfortable there. 
um, you know, like many of us, got concerns about the, the domestic WA economy um, and the housing market, um, but still pretty bullish on the mining side. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark, uh, it might seem a little contradictory, but in the same week that we're talking about, you know, global trade ructions and commodity prices falling, uh, we see Australia had a record trade surplus. Well, this is the classic backward-looking indicator. Um, Year to June 30, um, some sensational numbers on the export front. Um, In the month of June, um, Australia had a trade surplus of about $8.6 billion, biggest ever. Mm. Um, For the year, it was about $50 billion, and a big driver of that was growth in exports. So WA, value of exports out of WA was up by 34%. So very impressive. Um, but look, you know, all the big commodities, iron ore, coal, had record levels, aluminium, copper did well. Um, you know, the volume of LNG exports is going up. Um, you know, the price of them has come down a bit, but that's still still growing in volume terms. Um, but WA exports, um, $161 billion, mm. you know, amazing numbers. Um, about half of that goes to China which sort of feeds into um, our earlier discussion. Um, And if people want more insight on that, that was something else that Mark Barnaba spoke about. Definitely. Um, But yeah, 50% of our exports to one country. So that's, uh, our fortunes are tied up inextricably with China. (laughs) Um, Now Mark, the ACCC has had a crack at Health Engine this week. What are the implications for that business? Yeah, look, Health Engine has been a great success story out of Western Australia. You know, people talk about tech startups. Um, now, officially, a lot of people still call them a tech startup, but they've been going a decade. Yeah, and they've had uh, millions invested in them. Um, well, look, I was just checking the numbers. Um, they've raised about $40 million. Um, you know, Telstra, Seven West Media, Go Capital, other investors have put money into this business. Um, set up by Marcus Tan and Adam Yap, um, you know, both 40 under 40 winners. Yeah. Um, they employ about 110 people. So, you know, a very substantial business. You know, their core service is an online booking service. Um, so they're for doctors and for, for doctors and other medical practices. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're hooked up to I read 70,000 yes. medical practices. Yes. Yeah, pretty significant. And went through very rapid growth. Um, and I think that's been a contributor. So they, they've done a couple of things that have got them into this position where the ACCC has now instituted proceedings against them. Uh, one was they were selling off customer information to other people like health insurers yep. um, without proper disclosures. For online advertising purposes and such. That's right. Um, so people were then getting contacted by these other service providers. Ah, right and saying, well, hang on, where'd you get my details from? Well, it was coming from Health Engine. Um, And then the other one was um, editing um, and selectively publishing customer reviews. Um, So they were publishing the positive news and, in fact, editing customers' comments. So only the good bit went up online, not the bad bits that were in there. Um, Now, Marcus Tan has said, look, they were never meant to be a traditional um, sort of rating service. Um, they were just trying to, trying to provide, you know, helpful information to people. Um, he's also said that the growth of the business 
may have, or certainly did, I think, outpaced their systems and processes. So, you know, they're apologetic. They've already changed the way they're operating. Um, but they've still got a lot to deal with now that the ACCC has commenced these proceedings. Yeah, it's a bit tough, isn't it? I guess that's a, you've had, you, you encounter a problem and you wear all the bad publicity that comes out of that. Then you change your, the way you're doing things and then somewhat belatedly you then get a regulatory action coming, you know, in the slipstream. Tough one. Um, look, Marcus is, uh, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty straight business guys, Marcus and Adam. I've met them both and dealt with uh, Marcus many times. So uh, I'm, I was a little surprised, but I think that is one of those problems with online businesses and data, which we've seen, you know, Facebook and Google and all those getting caught up in the same kind of thing that the, the, the rules around how you use data are a little bit, you know, well, maybe they're not that loose, but maybe people misinterpret them. I don't know. But anyway, I'm not against uh, a bit of, you know, people realising that we've got to get that right because people's data is important. Now, Mark, we had a really interesting piece on Michael Cheney and his former executive assistant, uh, Suzanne Ardar, talking about uh, their former working relationship when uh, he was running West Farmers and she was his assistant. Um, yeah, it was back in the 90s. What, what did you get from that discussion or that report that we've done? Yep, yep. Well, look, we, we've included this as part of our, you know, readers will have noticed uh, we've got a, a new section, each edition of the magazine focused on schools um, and issues around managing schools, um, which uh, in fact are very large businesses in many cases. Absolutely. So the folks at Wesley College, the headmaster there, Ross Barron, and his um, executive assistant, Anna Sellings, put on a seminar and said, you know, who can we learn from? So they invited Mike Cheney and Suzanne Ardar. As you say, they were a, uh, the dynamic team when, when Mike was running West Farmers during that very successful period. Um, and he's suggested that there's actually a lot of parallels between the relationship he had with Suzanne and the relationship that a school principal should have with their assistant. Um, a big part of it was just about the rapport that you need between the two individuals. And I guess you talked about needing to walk a very fine balance. So a good executive assistant is someone who can anticipate the needs of their boss, um, you know, look after all the logistics that go with um, the, a very busy role, and then allow them to actually focus on the important things in their job. One of the other things you talked about was you can't be a barrier. You know, you can't just stop yeah, everybody yeah. getting to the chief executive. The executive assistant has to be astute enough to know who gets through the door, and then other times when you actually do keep the door locked so they can get on with other things. And also some interesting comments from Suzanne. She talked about taking another role after she finished up with Mike Cheney, where she felt very frustrated because there were all these things that she could see needed to be done, and the person she was working for at that time actually didn't utilise her skills. So, you know, there, there's sort of a bit of guidance for chief executives out there. Don't take it all on. Make sure you actually get the support, all the support that other people want to give you. No, absolutely. And look, maybe the untold story there is also, you know, this, the idea of what an executive assistant is and, you know, Suzanne, who, uh, you know, I see regularly in, in networking and business circles, uh, has gone on to some really interesting roles. And, uh, you know, she's been a, a you know, leader here of a not-for-profit. She's um, 
you know, now in the uh, in the governance and board space in a recruiting business, uh, you know, uh, and, and and an advisory role as much as a as a recruitment and consulting role. I mean, that's that's kind of not what we all think of if you if you go back a generation. What the secretary might have become. So I think you know, for for many of these people uh, in that role. It's you know their eyes are open, but also the most capable people. It's just a, it's just a stepping stone in the careers now. Um, Mark, uh, the Muja shutdown and the sale of Perth Energy to AGL are uh, very different uh, events in the energy sector, but it, it kind of like a an interesting an interesting kind of couple of things in a, in, a, in a world that we don't look at enough, maybe. Uh, look, and, and highlights just how much that energy market is changing um, in WA and around the world, um, you know, driven by technological change and environmental pressures. So, um, you know, the Mooja power station, it's um, traditionally been Western Australia's largest power station, you know, coal-fired, um, and of course a, you know, a crucial factor in the future of Collie um, as a town. Mm. So two of the units there will be shut down. Uh, the government said it was just very expensive to keep them operational. Uh, and in fact, they are rarely used. Um, you know, the, and the other units at Mooja that will be kept in operation um, generally run at a small portion of their capacity yeah. uh, because the world has moved on. Um, there's a lot of gas-fired power around Western Australia at the moment and a lot more um, renewable uh, power coming through. Uh, in fact, it was only last week that Linter um, turned the first sod at their big new wind farm they're developing a um, couple of hours north of Perth. Um, There's also more modern coal-fired stations around as well, right? Uh, there are some. I mean, you know, Blue Waters, also down at Collie, um, is more modern. Um, and then new players that have come into the market, like Perth Energy. Um, now, they're a group that had, um, that they've got the, the generation capacity. They're also a retailer in the electricity space. Um, now, they're an unlisted business. They're owned by um, a, a listed investment group called Infratil, um, along with Rod Jones as a minority shareholder. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they had a sort of a patchy sort of financial performance over the years, so AGL, big national player has come in, uh, paying it up to $93 million for the business. Adds to the fact that AGL has now come in to the uh, gas market. So that's yeah. an area where Alinta was the dominant player. Clean Heat came into that market a few years ago. Now got AGL and Origin Energy have come in. Yeah. So Very increasingly competitive. competitive. Um, AGL also had some numbers because this was all part of their results announcement. Um, they now supply gas to 43,000 households in WA. Mm. Um, that's almost doubled in the past 12 months. So they're making some real inroads into yeah. that market that Alinta and At someone's expense. Clean Heat used to have to themselves. Mm. So, um, you know, big changes there in the energy space. Um, so, you know, interesting to see. And I'll, I'll just briefly mention the sale of Perth Energy, you know, it's it's the latest of many unlisted businesses um, or private companies out of WA that have been sold. As a journalist, um, often we don't get to see the valuation on these transactions. No. 
Um, and in fact, I was talking to a corporate finance person during the week and he shared my frustration because often they'll be advising on a deal and they think it's a fantastic deal. But if you can't disclose the, the value, yeah. it's very frustrating. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, did it make any noise? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one example, um, wooden grieve engineers. Um, very nice, well, I was going to say, nice little WA success story. Um, they'd quietly grown over the years um, out of Perth. They'd expanded nationally, had about 600 people. They got picked up. Uh, bought last year, I should say, by um, a company called Stantec. They're a, a Canadian group, got a global operation. Um, Stantec put out their quarterly earnings update a couple of days ago, and buried in the notes, they finally disclosed how much they paid for Wooden Grove, $147 million. So this you know, low-profile Perth-based business that, uh, you know, outside the consulting engineering and construction space. Yep. Most people would not know anything about them. Um, but gee, isn't that some great value? Significant, so, yeah. Well done to all the uh, the people that built up Wooden Grieve. Yeah, I guess maybe we'll learn at some other point who shared the spoils. Um, now Mark, uh, this week Ernst & Young's uh, Western Region uh, winners of the various categories for its Entrepreneur of the Year awards were announced. Uh, what did you? Uh, who are they? And uh, and what did you think? Yeah, look, this is um, we've done a lot of work with EY over the years, and um, they've got a, a long history of success in this. Um, there's about seven different winners. Uh, look, each year they select a champion of entrepreneurship. So this is someone who's you know achieved a lot over their lifetime. Um, Nick Tana. Um, Australia's biggest exporter of horticultural products. Yeah, that's a, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Mm, um, you know. Especially when you then find out it's mainly carrots. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, you know, Nick was up on stage and he talked about the fact that he started off as a teenager. You know, his dad had been a market gardener um, and uh, his dad, in fact, wanted him to, to better himself and go off to university and, and become a doctor or a lawyer or something. But... Uh, Nick just loved the family business, started growing carrots as a teenager and uh, made good money and kept at it. And, uh, and of course, in, over the intervening years, he, he and Frank Romano set up Chicken Treat and Red Rooster, mm. um, grew them into very big businesses which were subsequently sold. Um, he, helped, he was the leader behind setting up the Perth Glory Football Club. Um, so he's done a lot over the years and, and still got this very big horticultural business. Um, so, you know, Nick Tana, a great success. Look, some of the others, um, uh, Mike and Mark Pivak, they're the, uh, the two cousins behind uh, the company, formerly known as Fast Brick Robotics. Oh, that's right. Yeah, now yes, FBR. FBR. So this is the, the, the robotic bricklaying machine. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean... And look, that's been an interesting journey watching those guys and, you know, uh, look, good luck to them. They're, They've got a business with a market cap of 100 million or so, didn't they? Oh, say? over 100 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and have been higher. Um, and look, they're on that journey. They, they've they've proven up the prototype. It works, um, and they're now on that sort of commercialisation path. Um, so good luck to them. Um, others, um, Pat Talon and Jim Fitzgerald, they helped. They set up Civmec, so a big sort of engineering 
construction contractor uh, with very big workshops down at uh, the Australian Marine Complex. The biggest undercover workshop in this from in 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 this in in Australia, right? That's right. Seeing as we're just you know being all the biggest in this podcast. Uh, big enough to get um, a naval frigate in there. Yeah, undercover. Yes, <laughs> amazing. Um, look, another great story, James Simons, um, his company PC Locks. Um, so that's where, you know, all the school kids have got their laptop at school. Um, this is a device where you, you slot the, the laptop in, it's secured overnight, it gets charged up. Um, they're a global business now yeah. um, in the US, in Europe, going into Japan. Um, so great story. Uh, Daniel Morrison, he was a 40 under 40 winner from uh, One Ginning Aboriginal Corporation. Um, Iris Smith um, in the makeup business. Yeah, um, so yeah, look, lots of great stories. So congratulations to them all. Fabulous. Um, and, uh, and another award winning story as well. Um, Mark, Vanya Cullen was recognised for her winemaking this week. James Halliday put out his um, annual wine companion and as part of that he hands out a bunch of gongs each year, one of which is winemaker of the year. Um, so this is the second year in a row a Western Australian has won it. Uh, last year it was Julian Langworthy, he's at uh, Deep Woods Estate. Uh, this year Vanya Cullen of uh, the family business, Cullen Wines. That's right. So you know quite outstanding and in fact there was a whole bunch of Margaret River wineries that picked up awards um, during the year. Um, Flowstone Wines, Mosswood, Stella Bella, uh, Deep Woods, all picked up awards in the various sort of varietal categories. Um, and he spoke you know, very positively about you know, not just um, the, the Chardonnays in particular from Margaret River, but the, the fortified wines from the Swan Valley, um, the Shirazes from up in the Perth Hills. So, um, you know, if you're in the wine business, it was a, a real pat on the back yeah. for what people in WA have achieved. And look, I think uh, we should comment that uh, Vanya's uh, gone fully organic and biodynamic. And, you know, I mean, I remember even as a young kid, in, you know, people talking about biodynamics as, you know, it's all planting in phase with the moon and, and honestly, cow horns with things, you know, pl- put put with minerals or whatever put in the uh, planted in the the right part of the paddock and all this stuff and and she does all that stuff um you know with dedication and you know and it's paying off uh which i find really interesting you know good congratulations you know i mean something that was very very out there totally now almost mainstream well becoming more mainstream but being, being able to produce the wines that people regard as great under conditions that you know previously people used you know all sorts of fertilizers because they've got to get these, these grapes to grow properly and they're going to use all sorts of other techniques in in the winery to preserve the wine and and to make it you know taste you know right so to go organic and biodynamic is quite challenging because you're leaving a lot of variables to <laughs> to nature uh, so to be able to produce something at the end that's not just drinkable but great and consistent that's a big challenge and uh, something that I think a lot of other winemakers may have you know struggled to overcome over the years so she's clearly done it um, now Mark our special report this week is on oil and gas uh, what has Matt McKenzie found there 
Yep, look, we've got Kevin Gallagher from Santos on the front cover of this edition. Um, in fact, I'll just throw in a quick plug here. Um, along with Mark Barnaba, Kevin Gallagher was a 40 under 40 winner early yeah, in his career. He was. Um, he, he worked at Woodside for many years, um, now based over in Adelaide. I was going to say, is that the first time we've had someone from Adelaide on the cover of our magazine? Could well be, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Um, but you know, now Chief Executive at Santos, um, they're a you know, big player, particularly in the domestic gas market. Yeah. So that's one of the... Because they bought out Apache, right? That's right, yep. Um, one of the uh, focuses of Matt's feature, um, it, compared to the East Coast, WA's done it pretty well. Um, we, we've had a consistent supply of gas into the domestic market. Um, supporting industry at reasonable prices. Yep. Um, and he's looked forward here about, well, what do we need to do to ensure that that adequate supply continues? So Matt's looked at some of the projects coming up. You know, part of it is the big LNG projects, um, which have a, a DOM gas component. Mm-hmm. So things like Scarborough and Browse, you know, as, as they're developed, as we expect, you know, there'll be extra gas coming into the domestic market. Um, but also some projects focused just on the domestic supply. So Mitsui um, owns the Waitsia field up in the Perth Basin. Um, so the overall view is that, you know, given the pipeline of future projects, um, people looking for gas in the domestic market should be looked after quite well. Yeah. Um, the other piece that Matt's done, it's a really interesting discussion about the debate um, between, you know, the, the green lobby on one side and the and the energy industry on the other um, and the very wide gulf between them, there's been a lot of papers coming out about, you know, how clean is gas? Yeah. Because it's always been talked about as the, um, you know, compared to coal. It's a transition fuel, right? Yeah, between coal and renewables. Um, And in fact, the CSIRO put out a a detailed study, um, which the industry took great comfort from, saying it sort of confirmed their view that it is a a relatively clean transition fuel, um, and yet a lot of the green um, lobby has, has looked at that study and interpreted it differently. So there's a good detailed analysis there from Matt about that debate. Um, so a good read. Yeah, and look, if I can make a little you know comment here, I mean clearly the Greens or the or the, or the conservation movement has decided that you know coal's done. They've tick. They've they've got rid of that effectively. And they're just moving on to the next thing because, you know, they just want to shut down, <laughs> well, fossil fuels for start. But generally speaking, you know, you get the feeling they just want to slow economies down. That's my view. So, uh, you know, they'll just chip away now and make, make that the next target of their misery. <laughs> OK, thanks, Mark. <laughs> uh, look, you know, all for progress, and I understand it, but... Uh, you know, I think what's, as we know on the East Coast, if you put up gas prices and make it uh, make it expensive to do things, then we'll just lose jobs, manufacturing jobs go when gas prices go up and, and manufacturing doesn't cease around the world, it just ceases here. So that's something to be uh, conscious of when we, when we make these decisions. We operate in a global world. Um, Mark, uh, thanks for that. Business News is proud to launch a new breakfast series to showcase the incredible and inspiring stories of WA's leading women in business. Our Food for Thought breakfast series will be a celebration of the myriad of achievements by WA's extraordinary businesswomen. 
an informal chat-style breakfast. Our speakers will join Network 10 journalist Narelda Jacobs to discuss their success, journey and difficulties faced by women in a cross-section of businesses. Uh, Narelda will uh, have as guests Parkerville Children and Youth Care Director Amanda Patton, uh, Elysium founder and 100 Women co-founder Alicia Curtis, interventional cardiologist Dr Michelle Amara, and Draw History Strategy Chief Angel Chen. Please join us for breakfast at the Hyatt on September 25th. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.